tonight, it's, it's really interesting what we're talking about tonight and how it fits into the spiritual realm of what's taking place. So in a couple of weeks, we are about to step into one of the most, other than when we first started, one of the most challenging spiritual times that we've ever been in. And it's really exciting. By challenging, I don't necessarily mean, oh, it's going to be hard and difficult, but exciting and dependent on God. And the message tonight that God has really stirred is all about increasing our devotion to Christ and how do we consecrate ourselves in order to do that. And we'll, we'll work through that. But as I was reflecting on this and talking through, uh, thinking it through, you know, the first way God disarms us is by causing us not to be in worship. Like, isn't it interesting? There's a small number, and I, there's tons of people that are busy and all the rest of it, but I, I always find in my spirit that those weeks now I'm in a different boat because I have to preach. But, but I've been in that space of like, oh, church. And that, no, church is, is where we are, who we are. It's where we are, our identity is renewed and where God's spirit moves powerfully. So coming to gathered worship is so essential. Which leads me to the question I want us to wrestle with tonight. What are you devoted to? What are you devoted to? You have these moments in life where that's tested and you see what you actually are devoted to. One happened for me probably a month or, go, month or so ago now. I'm involved in the PNC at the school and we were running a disco. And Zari's now in the senior disco and that means the disco is a little bit later than it previously was when she was part of the junior disco. And in part of the senior disco, I realised I had to leave there early to get to youth late. So it was on a Thursday night, so I had to leave the disco early in order to get to youth late. Now that was all fine and it was all planned and ready to go until Zars, she had a bit of a struggle that night. She wasn't having a great night and she asked me this question. She said, Dad, can you stay? I was like, oh, I've really got to go because I'm committed to youth and I need to be there. Now, it wasn't dependent on me that if I didn't turn up, it fell over. But I've made the commitment, I'm part of the leadership team, I'm like, I've got to be there. So as we talked about this, and she says, Dad, can you please stay? It's a moment of devotion, right? What am I devoted to more? They're both good things. One of them is a really, really good thing. What are we devoted to? And so I pondered this very momentarily, and it was a sense of God moving and saying, no, 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 you know who you're devoted to, and you need to be, like, stick to that. And so Zara was sitting, I sat down and I said, I'll stay, let me text Lockie. So Lockie's our youth pastor at Billy Church of Christ, so technically our youth pastor as well. And so I text Locke, and as I text, there were a couple of little eyeballs, weren't there, on the text message that I was writing. And I wrote, I said, Locke, something really important has come up and I need to be here for that. I'll be at youth when I can. And you were quite joyful about that, weren't you? Pretty, pretty stoked. There was this sense of like, ah. Oh. Not because Zari learned anything new, but because she recognised the devotion that I have for her. And it was, it was refreshing for my soul too, because life is full of moments where our devotion is challenged or clarified. When we work out or get to work out what we're actually devoted to and who we're devoted to and how we're devoted. And the problem is we always have to choose between two good things or more. It's never that we get to choose between something really terrible that we don't like and something really good that we do like because then it's easy to be devoted to one and not the other. 
But, but we're caught in this space of there are a lot of things in our lives that seek our devotion and they're good things. They're God-given things. But when we don't get it right, when we emotionally invest ourselves in things that are not God, and I'm not talking about ministry and I'm not talking about church, but I'm talking about our relationship with God and our connection with God. When we don't invest ourselves in God and our relationship with God and with other things, things start to run a bit awry. They get a bit drifty. They get a bit funky, not in the good kind of funky way, but in the bad kind of funky way. The same was true for Israel. We're not the first to ever have to experience this. In fact, humankind, since the dawn of humankind, has been struggling with this. Israel's done the unthinkable. It crossed the River Jordan in flood by walking into it. Just show the, the photo now, Tim. They, they crossed this water just by walking into it. And then they walked around the city of Jericho and their worship was so intense, the walls literally fell down. That's their story leading up to the point of where we're at tonight. So all that's happened, incredible stuff. And they've been devoted to God. It's been amazing. And then God says something very important. He says, the city and all that is in it is to be devoted to the Lord. Everything was God's. Now, Jericho was a very, very wealthy city. There were pots of gold and treasure that you can name. They had storehouses full of produce and grain. There was cattle and horses. Everything a wandering nomadic people would need in order to march confidently into the promised land and set up camp wherever they want. God had given it all to them. And God says, all that, it's mine, it's not yours. You're not to touch it. Instead, we're going to have a big barbecue. We're going to burn the lot everything not yours it was called the devoted things everything that was in the city that was of value god said they are the devoted things and you are not to touch them under any circumstances you imagine the israelites they're like but we need them and god's like i'm all you need i'm seriously all you need you have that stuff your devotion will go to it and away from me and it'll be a disaster don't go there so under God's prerogative, it was all to be destroyed, all this incredible wealth. Which is why God says, keep away from those devoted things, so you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. Now that word devoted, that word devoted, it can be defined as hostile to theocracy. You didn't realize you're in for a theology lesson tonight, did you? Hostile to theocracy. Theocracy is basically God being in charge of everything. So our devoted things cause hostility toward God being in charge of everything. We become devoted to other things and so God is no longer in charge. What's in charge? The devoted things, the things we devote to ourselves to we become slave to we worship to we, we we love and adore and it happens to you and i all the time one of the central questions we're asking as we move forward is this devotion question it's god are we more devoted to you or to the way we do church across the board our entire morning afternoon congregation that's one of the challenges 
Because we're all actually, there's part of us that said, God, we just want you whatever it takes. And part of us that goes, oh, I don't like that. I wish it were like this. I wish I got that out of it. I wish things worked like this. But God, I really want you. And you see that tension? And we have that tension in every area of our lives. How we parent our families. How we use the stuff God has given us. How we assign value to the things in our lives. Where we find our security. We, we encounter this challenge all day, every day. That stuff is not meant to be more valuable to us than God is to us, but it sneaks in there, doesn't it? When we don't want it to, when we're not looking, it's like, ah, it's there again. Because if we're more devoted to the gifts of God than God the giver, it will ruin us. It will ruin us spiritually. It will ruin our passion and our character and our very souls. And the Israelites, they're proof of it. Listen to what happens to the Israelites. But the Israelites were unthankful in regard to the devoted things. Sorry, they were unfaithful and unthankful. Unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Akan, son of Kami, took some of them. You don't do that. Like, no. So the Lord's anger burned against a can, no, burned against all of Israel. All of Israel. This was discovered by the Israelites in the most unfortunate of circumstances. They didn't know this had happened. They didn't know a can had come and pinched some of the gold and the cattle and the stuff and stashed it in his tent. They didn't know that it happened. And Joshua goes to the guys, he pulls them in, he says, Bring me my spies. He says to the spies, All right, the next city is I. Very interesting. Like they, they were ahead of Apple long before. Yeah, so the city of our eye. So just go to the city, spy it out. Tell us how many we'll need to overthrow the city. And so the spies come back and they said, we sussed it out completely. And like a couple of thousand people, like a couple of thousand in our army. We don't need to send the entire troops, just a battalion or so. Just send them. We'll knock it over easy because we're on a roll. Did you see what we did in Jericho? And so Joshua's like, yes, send them in, get 2,000, send them in. And they go to Ai and they get absolutely annihilated. 36 of them are killed and they retreat with their tail between their legs. And what does Joshua do? Who's Joshua mad at? Have a guess. God. He's mad at God because that's the promised land. God said, you can have it all. And they're like, we're going to go take it all. And then it didn't work. And all of a sudden Joshua's like mad at God. He says this. Joshua tore his clothes. He fell face down to, before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening, and said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Did you forget, Joshua, that you walked through a flooded water? You walked around a city a bunch of times and it fell down. And now you're saying, oh, wish we'd gone on the other side. God, how dare you, right? And it's so good because Joshua's getting his rage on. He's getting his mad on. And God comes back at him. Listen to these words from God. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. It's got an exclamation mark on it, right? You don't, you don't, you'd never want God to speak to you that has an exclamation mark on the end. You think it's scary coming from your mum or dad when you're a kid? God, when he puts an exclamation mark on it, this is not good. Stand up. What are you doing on your face? Why are you mourning this? Israel has sinned. 
They violated that covenant, Joshua. You know the covenant we had? It's built out of relationship. They violated it. I commanded them to keep it, but they violated it. They have taken some of the devoted things, the things, not mind you, a little while ago, just like yesterday, I said, do not touch the devoted things. They've taken some of them. They've stolen them from me. They've lied about it, and they've put it in there with their own possessions. That literally would have sucked the, the air out of Joshua's body. Like, what? What? God gives it to Joshua straight. Your people have been disobedient. And when they're disobedient, they're your people. When they're obedient, they're my people. Fair enough. It's why you have not experienced the victory in I, and why you will not experience victory anywhere else that I've already prepared for you because you're living in disobedience. I'm not sure that Western Christianity is too far removed from that. If I'm just blatantly honest and open and, and, and ruthless about what I see in my life, I'm not sure we're too far removed from that. I imagine, imagine how we would see God move if we started to get this right. Say, God, I am devoted to you above all else and everything else. I am just yours. I think we would see God do some amazing things if we took God as seriously as the Israelites had to take God. But we fall asleep spiritually because we have this amazing, wonderful thing called grace. It just lulls us into this, ah, I'm saved. I'm good. And it is a beautiful thing. But as Bonhoeffer would say, he called it a cheap grace. It's when we cheapen the power of grace. But God, God demands Joshua to wake up. He says, that is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. That's harsh. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to to destruction. And do you see that God doesn't look at Achan and his whole family line and say, that's where the sin is. He says, because of that sin, you're all guilty? That's kind of scary, right? That community would mean so much to God that instead of us looking just at the individual sin in us, he would look at the entire temperature, the entire culture, who we are as a people. The devotion we each have to God as individuals determines the devotion we have as a church to God. And at junctures like the one we're in, this matters far more than we realize. So we need a pathway. We need a pathway back to devotion, to redevote ourselves to God. And that pathway to godly devotion is called consecration. That's what God calls the Israelites to do, to reorientate the devotion of their lives. Go, consecrate the people, tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, there are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. Tomorrow we deal with it, so consecrate yourself. Get ready. Now, Back then, consecration was a ritual bathing. There was a particular way that they would bathe, and so they would bathe themselves, they would clean themselves, they would then put on their very best clothes. So what we might traditionally, not here at Village, but what we might traditionally call our Sunday best, right? 
clearly not my Sunday best, but we put on our best clothes and look amazing. And what we're saying is we have separated ourselves from being unclean. That is to consecrate, to separate yourself, to set yourself apart from that which is not clean, to set yourself apart from the stuff you don't want to be devoted to in order to devote yourself to God. Now, consecration looks different in our kind of um, our world, but there are elements of it here. Elite athletes go through processes of consecration. All right, I'm going to show you a photo. Who's this? Yes, good job. Thank you, Kate. Ronaldo, this is Cristiano Ronaldo. He is, I, I don't necessarily agree or like what I'm about to say, but he is one of the best football players in the world, right? I, I have other problems with that. He's also one of the cockiest, but he is brilliant. This is Cristiano Ronaldo. And every time he plays, he takes his shoes off, takes his, uh, his, his boot and his sock off his right foot, and he goes onto the field and he makes sure that his bare right foot touches the grass on the field that he's about to play. He says, I can't do that and us have any chance of winning. I can't not do that and us have any chance of winning. So I've got to do that for us to win. It's his way of saying preparation time, it's finished. Game time is on. All right, let's see how you go with this. Who's this one? Yeah, well, you're on a roll, Karen, strong. You'll never get this one. Yeah, you may, and if, if you're a Houston Rockets fan, you might. This is Jason Terry. He's the point guard for Houston Rockets. And Jason, every night before he plays against his opposition, goes to sleep in the shorts of the opposition. So, so on the night before a game, if, if the Rockets play the Bulls, he'd go to, um, go to bed in Chicago Bulls shorts that he'd pull on and go to sleep whilst Houston, while, and in preparation because his, his justification is, I can get into the mind of my opponents. Now, I think you're just getting into their shorts, but, but that's cool because he's actually wanting to shift his mindset to the game that is ahead. All right, who's this person? Serena Williams and you'll notice these things you see at the bottom of her leg just before you get to the shoe what's that called sock Serena when she starts playing um, a tournament will put on a pair of socks and she will never change those socks for the entirety of the tournament those of you that thought oh she's lovely you're like oh hang on hang on so she'll take them off to shower and that's it. She'll wear them the rest of the time because she believes that how she starts a tournament needs to be how she finishes a tournament because when she's dressed like this, she is consecrated, she is set apart, she is ready for the task ahead. Consecration before God is saying, I'm ready. Choose me. It's game time. I'm, I'm here. I surrender. I'm up for it. Choose me. That's what consecration means. Every Sunday, every Saturday night, I have a consecration ritual. I don't know if you call it ritual. It probably is a ritual, but I don't understand it as a ritual. But Linda will all go to bed whenever she goes to bed. It doesn't matter if we've been out or what we've been doing. I will then go outside into the patio and I'll take my Bible and my journal and I'll sit there for an hour and I'll listen to God. Because I know whatever happens today is going to be enriched by what happens on that night. So last night, last night was not a great night. Oh, God, please. I just, we went out, sat down, things were going well. 
felt like God was speaking and saying some things. And then God says, the most important thing we can do right now over the next two weeks is consecrate yourself. Now that's good news, right? Not necessarily if you haven't written a sermon about it. God, God, are you kidding? Like, That's like the little footnote at the end of a sermon about devotion and you want me to... You want, God, you don't realise, I know you created everything and blah, 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 but you just don't realise the amount of work. And as I was complaining and whinging, God started to speak some more to me. And so then the other part of my pre-Sunday ritual kicks in, that every Sunday morning I'll get up at five o'clock or earlier if there's more some work to be done, and I'll, I'll start fine-tuning and honing and putting this in my spirit so that I can speak to it rather than just try and remember how it all works. And so this morning we did that, and part of that is, is rehearsing and, and, and coming together because what happens on Sunday is really spiritual. But that is an act of consecration. That is saying, God, I'm putting myself aside because what you're about to do really matters, and I want to be a part of it, and I'm going to take it seriously, and so use me. And so I create that space. It's an act of consecration. It's an example of consecration. In fact, I said to this the every Sunday morning, we have morning tea, and every time we have morning tea, they, are, they offer me a, a cup of tea and a biscuit, and every time I say no. And it dawned on me a little while ago, I'm like, I think I'm really upsetting people by keep refusing. And I said to them this morning, the other thing I do on Sundays is I'll fast up until lunchtime. And I said, that's why I never have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. And they all went, ah. I think I upset some people. So anyway, that's part of that consecration, to set myself aside. Because consecration prepares us for sanctification. Sanctification is when God sets us apart. But consecration is when we say, God set me apart. Consecration is setting ourselves apart for Jesus. God's receiving of that is called sanctification. Consecration does not save us. It cannot save you. It surrenders us. Jesus saves us. With his blood, what he did on the cross, Jesus saves us. But consecration is a statement of our devotion to a God who would do that for us. God, you did that for me. I don't deserve that. I want to give you everything. That is consecration. After Paul was speaking about the grace of God to the church of Rome, he, he turns this corner and he's talking about how good God's grace is and how amazing it is and how you need to accept it and how it washes away all your sin. And then he says, therefore, because of all of this, 11 chapters of it, I urge you. It's so important, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That's the worship, the act of consecration, of offering ourselves consecration is worship and god is asking us to consecrate ourselves from now till the 17th of july consecration is a greater intensity of worship it's costly it's meant to be a little bit painful it's meant to be a little bit costly because it's to reflect what jesus did for us but because it's costly because we miss out on something we've consecrated we've stepped aside from something because of that, it renews our devotion to Jesus. So my question is, what will you set yourself apart from 
in order to increase your devotion to God. Let me tell you about August Jensen. His friends knew him as Gus. He was 84 and he sat right at the back of church. And as the years rolled on, everyone kind of ignored Gus. Everyone thought he's a bit too old to do much and to be very helpful. And he was kind of like forgotten. And one day, Phil, the, pre, the pastor, decided to go and visit Gus. And so he goes and sits down, has a cup of tea, and as he's meeting with Gus, Gus starts to share about his life. And every morning, for the first two and a half hours, Gus gets up and reads his Bible and studies the Bible. And then he goes on a three-mile walk with God in conversation with God. And as he's telling Phil, the pastor, this pastor's like, oh, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty high standard. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. And then, um, then Gus says, and lately, lately I've been fasting for Anthony. Phil says, who's Anthony? He says, oh, Anthony's this local kid. You see him around the streets. I don't know kind of where he lives or what his story is, but he's got a hard life and he looks like he's heading down the wrong road. And he's hanging out with some other kids and I've been praying for him and now I've been fasting for him. And so I've been fasting two meals a day, every day, until... Um, uh, so that Gus would put his faith in Christ and would be saved. And so Phil says to Gus, well, how long have you been doing this? He says, 40 days, 40 days today. Phil says, how long are you going to keep doing it? And Gus says, till he's saved. 51 days. And Anthony put his faith in Christ. August Jensen was consecrating himself for another our act of consecration isn't for us. It's for Burley. It's for the Gold Coast. It's for our neighbours. It's for our friends who don't know Jesus. It's for those people whose situation breaks our heart and we want God to break through in their lives. It's for people who do not know the love God has for them. Our act of consecration is not for us. It is an act of worship. That means it is for God God makes us holy through Jesus' sacrifice and consecration honours that. Consecration enables the devotion of our hearts to be renewed in God again because consecration says, I'm ready, choose me, game on, let's go. <clears throat> so in two weeks' time we step into this new adventure. 17th of July, 10am, combined church, and goodness knows what's going to happen. As all that unfolds. It's really exciting. But we have to be spiritually ready for it. We have to be. <coughs> so how will you consecrate yourself? You may recall about four weeks ago, I asked that question of us. We're talking about Joshua. It was the first round of consecration that Joshua called the men to as they're about to go through the river. And I said, I said this, I dug up my notes. Here's what I said. Consecration is a strange word. It means to sanctify, prepare, dedicate, to be set apart. Our culture has pretty much done away with consecration, but God hasn't. We experience an aspect of consecration when we baptize, when we fast, when we share communion. So what are you going to do to consecrate yourself for the merger? That was the question I asked. I know you've been thinking about it probably daily, You've been deep in prayer about it. You've been journaling through. You've been burning through journals about it. It's been a constant burden on your heart. How will you consecrate yourself now for the work God wants you to do? Well, it has for me too. It's been a real like, oh, not, 
not a great conversation because I'll be honest, I don't like consecrating myself. I don't like giving up stuff for God. I wish I was better at it, but I still have to. So I've been asking myself and God the question, what is it, God? What do you want me to consecrate from? What do you want me to set myself apart from? How do I need to prepare for what you will do? What will show you that I am serious? And I think, I'm pretty sure, in fact, it must be God, because what I'm about to tell you is truly ridiculous. I've decided not to eat anything with added sugar in it. Two weeks. I did some research on it. Like, I love cappuccinos. You know that cappuccinos got a little chocolate sprinkle on top? Uh-uh. Could have lattes. What they have this morning? Latte. This is why. Yeah. I, 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 added sugar means I still have to eat fruit. And, and I, I looked and I looked. I'm pretty sure, but I'm happy for any of you to say this isn't true, but I'm pretty sure that salad doesn't have sugar in it. Is that true? Like, that's oh, not true. I don't have to eat salad? Great. Great, yeah. Oh, it's an act of consecration. It's an act of consecration. To set myself apart from something, to devote myself to God, to ready myself for more of God. So what will you set yourself apart from in order to increase the devotion of your heart to God? It might be a habit. It might be an activity. It might be a person or a relationship. It might be something that you consume. It might be food. It might be a form of technology. It might be a character flaw that you recognize in yourself. It might be a specific sin. It might be a default pattern of thinking. It could be something else entirely. But what will you lay down that you are devoted to? You might even be devoted to something you don't want to be devoted to in order to take up what God has for us. You see, we consecrate ourselves not to be saved, but because of what we have been saved from and by whom we have been saved. To say to God, we're so grateful. We love you and this is how much. So what will you set yourself apart from in order to increase your devotion to God? And I started today, but I'll give you, I'll give you six hours grace. Start tomorrow. Go all the way through to 10 a.m., 17th of July. Consecrate yourself that we need to do this. This is a team sport. Because the church, this thing that, that is happening, it's God's thing that we're a part of. It's not our thing that God is a part of. If it were our thing that God was a part of, it would look far, far, far more like us than it would God. But God says... I want to give you this opportunity and this permission and this beauty and this privilege to be part of this incredible thing I'm doing and I want you to be ready for it. And consecration means we're ready for it. So let's just take some time now. I'm just going to sit in prayer just for a few minutes. Oh, we got... Oh, cool. We've got a few minutes. And just invite God to speak to us. And fair warning, it may be uncomfortable. You may have an idea pop into your mind that you're like, no, that's probably what God's saying. Anyway... Let's pray. God, we love you. We are so thankful of what you invite us to be part of, of where you have brought us and that we are here tonight. And we want to be devoted to you. 
We want to learn what that means. We want to explore what that means. We want to see you more at work in our lives on a more regular basis. We want to hear your voice more often. And we recognize, Lord, that sometimes it's the devotion of our heart that is not fully on you. It is on things that have hurt us or things that have got their claws into us or things that look really appealing or exciting. And so, Lord, in this quiet and in this, your presence, we ask that you would speak to us now. What do you want each of us to give up our devotion to? How do you want us each to consecrate ourselves, Lord?